You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul stresses the importance of fearing God, not as an awesome or impressive character, but in his function as judge. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. At the end of the Decalogue, we hear repeatedly that the whole thing is concentrating, zeroing in on our behavior towards any neighbor, anyone who happens to be in the vicinity and all whatever is related to him, even the slaves, the animals, and any possession of his, and not only his wife, as usually it is presented. And this behavior towards the other proceeds the following verses, 18 through 21 of chapter 20, underscores that aspect. We hear now, when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightings and the sound of the trumpet, remember, which is linked with the judgment later, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will hear, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. So here, very important to remember that the reality of a God in the mind of the people in those times. It's not that he was in heavens or on earth or seated on the throne of power and so on. No, his throne is the throne of judgment, as we hear later in Psalms 95, 96, and 97. He is the judge. That's why the people fear him. The people were afraid and trembled. And then the reply of Moses is very interesting. He said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to prove you. And that the fear of him may be before your eyes, that you may not sin. Interesting verse. If you... Fear him, it's okay so long as you link that to his being the judge and not his being awesome, as usually we talk about him. And then this fear is not linked to something that expresses what we refer to as his awesomeness, that he is 
overwhelming and so on and so forth. That's stupid theology. So the fear of him is that he will judge us for not having abided by his commandment. And that's what the sin is. Now, watch out. Do not push it to the extreme as the Orthodox say. If you don't sin, you don't need to fear him. No, you have always to fear him as the judge. Let me repeat that. You fear him as judge and not through 15 chapters about his awesomeness. He's going to judge you at the end. And here, let me jump. It's a reference I bring to the fore more often than not, that in that famous chapter 34 of the book of Ezekiel, where we hear God judging mainly the shepherds of his people, but suddenly in the middle of the chapter, over six, seven verses, we hear, and this is usually dismissed by all of us, that he's going to judge not only the shepherds, but also the bullying sheep. Not the sheep, the bullying sheep. And that they will be judged exactly as the shepherds has judged. And then the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And with this, we begin the lengthy chapters that are referred to as the covenant code. So immediately after the Decalogue, we have an expansion of all the requirements of the covenant. And again, in scholarship, it is referred to as the covenant code. And it begins with the altar. Very important passage. Let's hear it together. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. A repetition of what was mentioned earlier. And then against this background, we hear, an altar of earth, Mizbah Adama. Let's hear it. Adama is the ground. So it's like a mound, which is against building, because building is made out of stone that you erect one piece on top of the other. Well, the altar that is required of you is an altar out of the ground. Remember this connection. We are Adam from Adama, and the only thing that is allowed us to do has to come from this Adama, whence all life granted 
by God comes, which means it is something that is not artificial. Now you can play the games and ultimately a mound is artificial. No. You don't have something that is linked to an artifice, an art, something that you make the way a statue is. So interesting that verse 24 that comes directly after God had said, you shall not make gods of silver nor of gold. Where you meet me is a place that comes out of the Adama. You just put it as a mount so that you can see it from the distance and you know where it is. So it is on this Mizbeah Adama that you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And it's very easy to make a Mizbeah Adama, which we hear earlier in the case of Abel and then Noah. And if you make me an altar of stone, notice now he's going aside to speak about the other kinds of altar, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool upon it, you profane it. A stone per se is no problem because it is there. It is part of the Adama. And here I always mention the importance of the reference in Islam to the stone of the Kaaba. But it's not an etched stone. It is just there. And scholars make the big deal about whether it's a meteor and so on. This is a loss of time. The main point that it should not reflect your work. One more time, because the stone ultimately is part of the Adama. So you may use it if you so choose, but then you may not reflect your additions on it. And this is what the statue is. And for the Orthodox ears, let me say it one more time. And this is what our icons are. They are statues. Forget about the theology of the defense of the icons. It doesn't make sense. It is your own work. And you see the importance of the erection. You put something on top of the other. You hear it in the following verse. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar. And very interesting, the continuation, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Your nakedness may be exposed, and that is not good. But more important here is that this verb that means 
be exposed or exposed, it is from the same root from which we shall have later uh, the exile. And the connection between the two is clear in those times that it's shameful for you to be exiled, meaning that you as a warrior, your nakedness has been uncovered. You don't have your armor protecting you, but you are without your armor and thus naked. Okay? And that's shame. And we know it, you have it still in our modern movies. It's like someone being without a rifle or a revolver and so on and so forth. But again, to spread the issue of the nakedness as sexual and so on, that's not the issue. The issue is that if you are a priest, you have to be covered, and that's the tradition even among the Christians about having a cassock or a robe that has to go all the way down. I remember in Romania, next to the Patriarchate, you had a huge area with a lot of priestly vestments. Why? Because you have visitors. And then the patriarch would say, take all the priests and make sure you, the priest in charge, will pick for each one of them a vestment that would be the right one, meaning covering them completely, almost onto the floor. The cradle orthodox know that. That's the seriousness of the matter. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.